Good morning. Uh, my name is Fred Chilton, and this morning I have the joy of bringing you the Bible reading. This morning we're going to be reading the story of Isaac's two sons, Jacob and Esau, from the book of Genesis. But before we get into Genesis, let's pray for what we're about to do. Thank you, Father, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Open our hearts to receive your word, that we may know you better and be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now the first of the Bible readings, and there are three this morning, is from Genesis chapter 25, beginning at verse 19. Now you'll find this on page 24 of the Pew Bibles, or you can follow it on the screen. Genesis 25, starting at verse 19. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Paddan Aram, and sister of Laban the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife, because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is this birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. 
So Esau despised his birthright. The next reading is from chapter 26. You'll find this on page 27. Genesis 26, beginning at verse 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Beeri the Hittite, and also Basimath, daughter of Elon the Hittite. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I'm now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father, just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man. Well, I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, my son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother and she prepared some tasty food, just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goatskins. Then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she'd made. He went to his father and said, My father? Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord, gave, your God, gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, 
who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he, Isaac, proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? he asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, My son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate and he brought some wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. After Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, please sit up and eat some of my game, so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I am your son, he answered, your your firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, He burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Isaac Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he's taken advantage of me. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, Haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him, Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword, and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. 
he said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son and Jacob and said to him, Your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while while your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. We then move to Genesis chapter 28, at verse 10 on page 28. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are living. Oh, sorry, on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Fred, and good morning, everyone. My name is Gordon. I'm the assistant minister here. Uh, 
When I worked as an engineer, one of the things that I had to do was to interview grads that wanted to work for our company. And so, you know, these, grad, these uni grads would apply and they'd go through several rounds of interviews uh, with HR first, then with directors. And then uh, at the very last stage, when it's down to like the final four candidates, they'd get interviewed by us, like by normal level engineers. It was me and this other colleague. And the thinking was these grads would end up mostly working directly under us, and so we'd be the best place uh, to choose who we could best work with. And so, you know, we'd interview these grads, and then we'd go back to HR and the directors, and we'd say, you know, look, this person here, he has the best uni marks, but he actually has no experience working with others. But this person, she has demonstrated to us good problem-solving skills, and she has lots of experience in our field, so we recommend choosing her. Now, I tell you this because that's basically how our world works. We make choices about people, not just in work, but in our lives, based on certain boxes they must tick. Uh, so you're choosing a tradie to renovate your house, there are certain criteria that you want them to meet. Um, on the other hand, maybe you know, you're choosing a boyfriend or girlfriend, for sure, also. You have certain boxes that you want them to tick as well, right? And there's nothing wrong with this. This is just part of human life. This is how our world works. Now, interestingly, people do this with God too. Uh, we want to choose the God that we want to believe in. Uh, we want a God that best matches all our criteria, all the boxes that we want to be ticked. Uh, it's a bit like shopping. Uh, we're shopping for our God these days. Uh, and you might think, oh, it's, it's kind of like people who say, oh, you know, I prefer Buddha um, because he's most similar to my cultural background and that's a big part of who I am. So that's why I'm Buddhist and not Muslim, for example. Actually, nowadays, it's very common. I mean, that, that way of thinking is still very common. But actually, more people I'm noticing are saying things like this. Well, I like this part of Buddha, and I like this part of Jesus, and I don't really like this part of that religion, but I really like this part of this spirituality. And we take all the bits about each God that's out there, the bits that tick our boxes, and then we put them all together, and we create our own God. And at that point, well, who's really God? You know, if you get to choose and pick and create your own God, well, aren't you being God yourself? The question in our Bible reading today isn't so much which God will you choose. The question is actually, who does God choose? Who does God choose? It's actually the question running through Genesis. So remember God chooses Abraham? And he makes promises to him to bless him. And yet out of Abraham's sons, God chooses Isaac and not Ishmael. And here in our reading, Isaac, he has two sons, Esau and Jacob. Which one will God choose? That's the question. But notice that immediately we're told the answer. Just five verses into the first account that, we, that, that Fred read for us, we're told that God has chosen the younger one. At the end of verse 23, the Lord says, the older will serve the younger. How do you feel about this? When I was a kid, being the younger of two brothers, I loved this story. Now, if I'm a bit honest, it actually makes me uncomfortable, right? 
And I wonder if it makes you uncomfortable too. But as we go through this scripture, we're going to see something super important about God. The God we encounter in the Bible is much bigger, much more awesome than the gods that we can create and come up with in our own minds. The God... The gods that we create in our own minds, that tick our own boxes, too small, they're too small. The God of the Bible isn't a God that watches our world like someone watches a football match and just hopes that things will turn out the way he wants it to turn, but actually can't make anything happen. No. The God of the Bible isn't a God who is far away and distant, doesn't care about what's happening in each one of our lives, who only intervenes when something big and drastic happens. No. Uh, We've seen so far in Genesis that God is a God of grace and mercy. He gives us what we don't deserve. Today, I want to give you another word. And I was a bit reluctant to give another big theological word because I don't want this to be like a classroom. But I do want us to know God. So don't think of this as knowing another big word, but think of this as seeing another trait or a characteristic about a person that you want to grow deeper with, to have a deeper relationship with. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. It means he's in charge over everything, everything, from the planets and the galaxies to the smallest molecules that you'll find in your hair. He rules over everything. Nothing happens outside of his will. Nothing happens without his permission. And that means he can choose people. And so the question is, who does God choose? Or on what basis does God choose people? And as we look at this scripture to answer this question, it it will be uncomfortable. It will be uncomfortable because it will remind us that God is God and we are not. But I also pray that it will be of great comfort to us because as we see how big and awesome and sovereign God is, we also see just how beautiful his grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ is. So let's pray for that. Awesome God, show us how big you are and show us how big your grace is to us in your son Jesus. Amen. Uh, So turn with me um, back to Genesis chapter 25, verses uh, 19 to 34. Remember, uh, we're asking the question, on what basis does God choose people? And so Isaac and Rebecca, they have twin boys. But even though they're twins, uh, these two boys couldn't be more different. Uh, Esau, he's the older brother. He's a hunter, we're told, an outdoors man. He's like the alpha male type. He's the one who was on the school rugby team. And Jacob's the opposite. Uh, Verse 27 kind of suggests that Jacob was maybe seen as weak. And in the culture back then, and actually even ours still, they would have preferenced someone like Esau over Jacob. And see, that's what dad does too. Isaac, in verse 28, we're told, loves Esau. Why? Well, Esau brings him roast venison every now and then. Esau was stronger. He was tougher. He was more of the man. Notice how we're not told why Rebekah loves Jacob. She just does, it seems. But we see here some cracks that are forming in this family picture, uh, cracks that will get bigger. This is the beginning of family problems to come. And Jacob... Just imagine being in the shadow of your older brother, you know, the one who's stronger, the one that society wants. And imagine longing for the love of your own father, 
who clearly favors your older brother because your brother can do things that you can't do. And you can imagine these things because this picture of a broken family isn't foreign to us, is it? We as humans, we've always had categories to put people in. We've always had categories to choose people, whether it's what you can do physically, whether it's you know, how much you can contribute to society, whether it's how much you have achieved in life. We choose people based on our categories, but not God. God doesn't choose based on human categories. He actually already chose Jacob, remember? He chose Jacob, not Esau. But this actually doesn't excuse what happens next. See, God's sovereign choice doesn't mean that we don't have any choice. It's not fate. We're not robots. And so the story continues. Esau comes in from the field. He's famished. He's exhausted, verse 29. He sees Jacob cooking stew. Give me some of that stew, he says. But Jacob replies in verse 31, First, sell me your birthright. Uh, the birthright is like a will. As the older brother, Esau would have had the majority, the biggest share of the family inheritance when dad died. And on paper, this is like millions. But look what Esau says in verse 32. Look, I'm about to die. What good is the birthright to me? Now, he wasn't actually going to die then and there. He, you know, he had, he's just exaggerating. And think of the options that he had here. He had lots of options. So option number one, don't be stupid, Jacob. Just give me some of that stew. You know, if there was a sibling scuffle that occurred, he, Esau probably would have won, right? Or option number two, all right, fine. I'll just get one of our servants to roast me a lamb. I'd rather wait a little bit for some roast lamb than eat some of your stew now. You know, he had options. This, Esau had options. But see which option he chooses. What good is the birthright to me? Esau chooses to sell his birthright to Jacob. Something worth millions. He chooses to sell it for a bowl of lentil stew. Um, you can buy a can of lentil stew for $2 at Audi. Uh, or you can get Pippi's one that she left over before. But notice how, this, how, notice how the Bible ends this story. So Esau despised his birthright. Esau didn't care. What's worse is that this birthright was more than just wealth. Remember, this family is in the covenant line. Isaac's inheritance that would have passed to Esau as the firstborn, this is the inheritance of God's blessing. In selling his birthright, Esau's trading God's covenant for a bowl of lentil stew. And he doesn't care. He doesn't even care. He just eats, he gets up, and he leaves. See, people do have a choice when it comes to God. But the choice isn't usually, you know, choosing Buddha over Jesus or something like that. It's choosing ourselves over God. It's choosing to give up a relationship with God, not for a bowl of lentil stew, but maybe for a sexual relationship you shouldn't be in. It's choosing to give up a relationship with God for a lifestyle or an ambition that would snuff out any chance for active fellowship with God's family at church. God didn't choose Esau, yes, but Esau also didn't choose God. And that's on him. He's responsible and accountable for that choice. But that's how the first story ends. That's how it ends. But it doesn't mean that what Jacob does is commended. I don't know about you, but Jacob seems like a questionable guy, doesn't he? Dodgy guy. And I think we're supposed to feel that about Jacob. 
especially as we move on to the next story when he cheats his dad and his brother. So flick over to Genesis 27 with me. Now, one of the problems we face when we read Genesis is that these stories don't quite fit uh, the stories that we're used to. Now, what do I mean by this? Uh, Think of the books and the novels that you like, maybe even the movies that you watch. There's always a clear-cut good guy and a clear-cut bad guy. So, Harry Potter, good guy. Uh, Voldemort, bad guy. I mean, just look at him, right? And a name like Voldemort, clearly bad guy, and he's trying to kill this innocent young boy. Clear bad guy and clear good guy. That's how our stories work. But it's not like that in Genesis, is it? It's not as clear-cut as that. See, the Bible isn't fiction. It's real life. It's, these are real stories. And in real life, it's more complicated, isn't it? When we look at Genesis 27, everyone is at fault. Everyone is in the wrong. In fact, the person who might be least at fault is actually probably Esau. So let's start with mum, Rebecca. Uh, she overhears Isaac promising to bless Esau only. And remember, Jacob's her favorite. And so this means Jacob is not going to get the blessing. And so she calls Jacob. Verse 8, Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. She's the mastermind behind this whole thing. She's the brains behind this whole deception that's going to happen. She's going to kill some goats, cook them, pretend that it's going to be Isaac's favorite meal. Uh, she's going to make Jacob wear Esau's clothes. She's going to put animal fur on Jacob's skin so that it you know, imitates Esau's hair. She's the mastermind of this whole deception. She's at fault. And Isaac. So Jacob goes in to Isaac wearing Esau's fur, bringing the food. Verse 18, Isaac says, who is it? Who is it? This is your son, man. Which parent can't recognize the voice of their own child? Uh, On Tuesday, I popped into Playtime, the playgroup here. Uh, These mums were outside chatting. And then, you know, where? In the other room, a baby's crying, kids crying. One of the mums straight away goes, oh, that's my kid. You know, there's like 20 kids in there. She knows that exact cry, that exact pitch, the exact tone, that's her child. And it was. I know these two identical twins, and I remember their dad saying, I can tell you which one is laughing upstairs. I don't have to go up and see. I just know which one's laughing. Isaac has a full conversation with his son, and he still can't recognize his voice. What kind of father has Isaac been to Jacob all these years? Isn't Isaac at fault too? And Jacob, just look at how he lies to his dad. Verse 19, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Blatant lie, number one. Next verse, lie number two. How did you find it so quickly, Isaac asked. The Lord your God gave me success. Jacob's willing to use even God's personal name to lie to his own father. What does that say about how he sees God? Jacob ends up lying three times. He even brings out the wine to lower dad's guard. And so Isaac blesses Jacob, thinking it's Esau. And it's a blessing that actually makes Jacob supreme over Esau. And then Esau comes back, and he finds out what happens, and it crushes him. 
And there he is begging his dad for the blessing. But instead, he gets the curse. And we kind of feel the injustice. His, we feel his anguish. You know, and I think we're supposed to. We're supposed to ask, why is this story here? You know, why has God given us this story? God hasn't given this to us because he wants us to be like Jacob. He's not saying that you know, deceiving your dad for my blessing is good. No. What Jacob does, he is evil. There's no doubt about it. But it shows that actually God's purposes aren't stopped by human evil. Humans can intend things for evil, but God can still use that for his ultimate good. We're going to see this in Genesis. I actually think Isaac maybe somehow realizes that what Jacob did was part of God's plan, and so that's why he doesn't choose to reverse the blessing. But, you know, why has God given us this story then? It's to tell us that he doesn't choose people based on merit. God doesn't choose his people because they're more moral than everyone else. He doesn't choose his people because they're more ethical, because they're kinder, because they're more caring, because they're more respectful, because they do more for society. God doesn't choose based on human merit. God doesn't choose you based on your merit or your achievement or your behavior. You don't look at Jacob and see someone else. Look at Jacob and see a reflection of yourself. You know, you've deceived before. You've damaged and hurt people before. I have. Jacob doesn't deserve to be chosen by God. Neither do you. Neither do I. No one does. No one is worthy of God. Everyone is unworthy. And friends, that's actually what makes this last story so incredible. See, no one deserves to be chosen by God. Everyone is unworthy. But God chooses to open heaven up for unworthy people. Uh, in Genesis, no one has seen heaven, you know, the place where God is. Uh, in Genesis chapter 11, humans tried to build a tall tower a giant stairway all the way to heaven. They try and bridge the gap between earth and heaven, between us and God, and it fails. But here in Genesis chapter 28, God chooses to show a glimpse of heaven. He chooses to show the way to heaven, the way to himself. And out of all the people in the world at that time, he chooses to show this to one man, the most unworthy man, Jacob. This vision that Jacob has of the stairway to heaven. It's incredible. Verse 12. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. He sees the way to heaven. He sees the way to God. But not just that. He sees God himself. There above it stood the Lord. Uh, in your gap groups this week, you'll see how God's promises to to Jacob here, the same as his promises to Abraham before. But for now, I just want you to see how huge this moment is. This is huge. And Jacob knows this is huge as well. Look at what he says in verse 17. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. What's happening is God has chosen the most unworthy man to show the way to himself. And do you know he's shown that to you too? He's shown this to you too. 
See, Jacob thought that this stairway to heaven was a place. But the stairway to heaven, the gate to heaven, isn't a place. It's actually a person. In the New Testament, in John chapter 1, Jesus calls a man named Nathanael to be his disciple. And this is what Jesus tells him. He says, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. On the Son of Man. If you know Jesus, you know the way to heaven. If you know Jesus, you know the only way to God. And if you trust Jesus, he will bring you to God. Just after um, I gave my life to Christ, when I was still young in my faith, I had this wow moment that, when I look back on it, feels a little bit silly, but the moment was this. I was thinking, wow, there are billions of Chinese people in the world. And out of all those people, God chose me. You know, why, why would he do that? Why, what makes me so special that he would choose me? Of course, I know I'm not the only Chinese Christian. I know I'm not the only Christian in the world. But that was a big wow moment for me. Because I realized that I did choose God, but actually he chose me first. And if you trust Jesus, he chose you first too. And I want to ask you, does this wow you? Does this make you in awe of him? Because it should. It should and it must. And it should just make us want to tell everyone about God and his kindness to us. A lot of people go, why should I tell others about God if he didn't choose them? But you don't know that. You don't know that. If God can choose someone like Jacob, he can choose anyone. There's no one too far from him. That's what this story is all about. Because in his son, we actually see another story. Another story about an older brother. And this older brother willingly chooses to serve the younger. And this older brother willingly gives up the blessing that was his. And instead chooses to take on a curse. Because Jesus came and died on the cross. We can have every spiritual blessing in heaven. That's what the Bible says. Because Jesus came and died on the cross, heaven is open for us. The way to God is open for unworthy people like us. Let's pray. Kind and gracious God, we are unworthy to be your people. We deserve your judgment for the way we treat each other and the way that we treat you. Yet you chose to show mercy to us and you graciously chose to offer us a way back to you through your only Son, who died for us, who took our curse, so that we can be cleansed and be holy as your people. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.